You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to this week's Essential Apple Podcast. After last week's was abandoned due to a dearth of news worth talking about. Uh, I'm afraid me and Nick looked at the stories and after talking for 10 minutes went, you know what, there is nothing here we want to talk about. So uh, match abandoned. However, this week, an oasis. Uh, news galore, really. And to uh, talk to me about the things that have happened this week, I have Guy Searle. Hello, Guy. Hello, how's it going? Uh, it's going quite good. Going quite good. Um, we've been talking for uh, some time already, mostly about microphones. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah, sorry uh, about that. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, it was good fun. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a nut when it comes to microphones. Yeah, well, everybody has something that, uh, you know, fascinates them. And with you, it's microphones. Um, well, yeah, apparently. Well, this week, uh, Apple have announced some new MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros, but killed off the 12-inch MacBook, um, slashed prices on build-to-order SSD upgrades. Hurrah! But not the RAM. Ooh. Um, Rumours that they're going to replace the butterfly keyboard either late this year or early next year with a return to a scissor switch mechanism uh, are getting stronger. Um, That's a yay. Yeah. Um, I I kind of hoped that they would persevere with the butterfly switches until they got them working. But I think what they on the fourth revision, I think they've yeah. Well, I mean, just yeah, facing the fact that it's not going to work. And at this point, I'm sorry. Well, actually, uh, that we're going to talk about this later, aren't we? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, well, you can talk yeah. about it now. <laughs> That's oh, the okay. point. Well, I was just going to say, with with all the trouble that they've had with the butterfly keyboards, that at this point, it's it's kind of damaged goods. So even even if they came out with a version that was like 100% working and you know 10 times better than anything else out there, people would still go butterfly keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. I so yeah. I think there's, yes, whether or not they could solve the technical issues, because I'm pretty sure they could make a butterfly keyboard with a bit more travel and do this and do that. But I think part of the problem is it's tainted, isn't it? Whether whether the number yeah. of people who actually suffer um, breakdowns with it is, you know, actually quite small or not, I don't really know. It's hard to tell because... You know, the people who suffer problems are the people who shout the loudest. Um, of course. But it, it's been picked up and it's now become a thing all the time. You know, the, the very poor butterfly keyboard is pretty much a stock comment. And yeah, it's just, it's it's tarnishing the brand. Damaged goods. And it's, it's yep. you know, I think they have pushed into a position where, as you say, even if they modded it to a point where it was 100% reliable, people are just going to say, aren't those those nasty butterfly keyboards that break? So um, I think to some extent their only real way out is to backtrack, unfortunately, to some extent, I think. But there you go. Um, 
along that line, by the way, talking of things being tainted, the tech pundits have already declared this year's iPhones to be boring and ugly. And they're only interested <laughs> in talking about the 2020 iPhones. <sighs> really? Yeah, because... <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, let, let, let's face it. Apple's been making phones for a long time. So an unannounced and uh, unshown phone is just bound to be boring. <laughs> and the one from the following year is bound to be more exciting. Exactly. In fact, exactly. why aren't they talking about 2025 now you iPhones? <laughs> well, you know, those are the ones that they actually implant in your skull. So, <laughs> you know, they have, to ease, they have to ease us into that. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I you know, I'm not a huge fan of the alleged uh, sort of square camera bump with three great big lenses in it. But then again, in reality, yeah. how often do you spend staring at the back of your phone? Realistic. <laughs> you know, I don't. Just when I'm driving. <laughs> uh, there we are. Um, what else? Uh, AMD uh, were telling everybody how chiplets are the way forward for silicon, um, which is something we'll talk about a bit later, I think. Um, Facebook got whacked with a $5 billion fine for Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, and everybody's like, wow, it's a world-shatteringly large fine. And I, I think as far as Facebook are concerned, it's pocket change. What, what's their yeah. income? 15 billion a quarter, 20 billion a quarter, something yeah. like that. Um, it's, it's like now, now who is it? Well, I mean, who is it that's actually getting the money? You know, that's that's really where it comes down to. Who fined them for that? Was that the EU? Uh, no, FCC, I think. Oh, okay. So five, five billion more into the US coffers, but in, in essence, it was, it was like a tax for them saying, now don't do that again. Wink, wink. Mm, yeah, and they will. Uh, they'll yeah. just change they yeah. you know the, they change the name and and the 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 players move to another chair yeah uh, and of course the uh the other facebook related thing which i'm not really going to talk about much but uh, is they've started on this libra cryptocurrency malarkey which um oh. i hold in deep suspicion i have to say um well considering how much of your information that they already have i have no idea why you're so suspicious of them they don't have any of my data because i'm not on well actually they probably have dangerously large amounts of data about me whether i'm on there or not truth be told but yeah well we because are. everybody you know is on there yeah yeah and all they have to do is go simon and then you know you're you're, you're in the system <laughs> yep oh dear but no, I avoid Facebook, I'm afraid. I have nothing to do with Facebook. Uh, right, well, I suppose we should start, Guy. We should start with the um, all well, over done. the web. No, we're not done. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just getting started. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, Apple revamps the MacBook lineup, um, which is, of course, everywhere, uh, and killed the 12-inch MacBook. Um, some people were surprised by that. I wasn't really surprised to see the 12-inch MacBook get the axe. What, what, what did you feel about that? Uh, once, once I saw that they were going to update the MacBook Air, and with all the bad publicity that the the MacBook has gotten, which I think was the very first one with the butterfly keyboard. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah. It doesn't really it doesn't really surprise me that they decided that the MacBook Air has the the better and more uh, not really popular, but at least more positive brand awareness. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that the MacBook is is going to go away. And you know, and and I like how you have here for now. Because Apple, like every other company out there, 
never lets any of their brands just die. You know, they just sit there. Okay, well, let's put this one on the shelf, put a pin in that, and then we'll get back to it in five or six years. So, yeah, chances are, you know, something will happen with the MacBook Air or they just decide that enough people have forgotten the debacle of the butterfly keyboards and then they can bring it back out again. Yeah, because it was it actually was was for what it was. And, you know, this was a, a very, very low end because it was Intel's uh, M, mobile what, i3 or, or M3. I mean, it was still an x86 processor. Yeah, but it was it, it was like a. If, if you look at the motherboard of the, the MacBook, I mean, basically everything was on this one board. It was like system, almost system on a chip kind of thing. So that was part of, of what made it so super small and super light. And, you know, I mean, I, it wasn't anything that I wanted to use with Final Cut Pro, but for the majority of the people out there that that just wanted to do the, you know, the, the regular things, he said with air quotes, on a computer, it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 12-inch is a bit dinky, but then again, if all you're doing is looking at your Facebook and doing your email right. and Twitter and reading the web, that's probably, you know. Well, how, how big is the iPad Pro? Which? Well, 11 and 12.9. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is true. And that's, essentially, that's that's big enough. You know, there, there are a lot of people whose only computing device is their phone, which is... Anywhere from four to six inches. Also true. Also true. <clears throat> um, and they've, uh, what have they done? They've retired the non-retina um, scissor-switched MacBook Air, the last of that line. Um, and they've introduced um, new ones, all with touch bars. So uh, all, all of the... What, MacBook Airs with touch bar? Uh, no, sorry. Mac, the MacBook Pro are all... Oh, okay. Um, I don't think the MacBook Airs have a touch bar. I, I, I don't know. No, I could be wrong. That, that's actually. why I, that's, I was kind of like, what? Well, I didn't hear that. No. Um, okay. The prices for the MacBook Airs, I believe, now start at $1,100, which is a slight uplift, I think. Um, my my thought looking at that was, I know it's $200, but for $200 more, you can get the... Um, the MacBook Pro, which of course is now a quad-core uh, processor, right. um, and comes with a touch yeah, bar. I, I don't, I don't you... even know why anyone still sells a dual-core computer these days. It just doesn't make any sense to me. There we go. Uh, well, we might come on to that slightly when we move on to the thing about chiplets, actually. Okay. Um, but there we go. So, uh, it, yeah. Uh, not really surprised, uh, quite pleased, I suppose, to see the MacBook Pro move up to a quad core. Um, some people were jibbing that apparently its base speed is only 1.4 gigahertz, but it, but turbos, it ramps to, yeah, it turbos up to 3.2, I think. Um, yeah. and being quad core, of course, I think the other thing is people are still locked in the, the old, or some people are still locked in the old fashioned way of more gigahertz must be better. But of course, as you start adding multiple cores, that the, the base doesn't speed doesn't really mean very much. Um, you know, if your if your base speed is one point four, what you what are you saying? You're saying when you're when you're not really doing anything, it's only running at one point four gigahertz and not sucking up your battery. Um and when you need it it can ramp all the way up to four cores going flat out, which gives you the equivalent of three point two gigahertz. Um and fifteen minutes battery life. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah there we are okay you're done 
You're done. You're done. Um, and to go along with this, they have made huge cuts to the SSD uh, upgrade pricing um, across the board, not only on the laptops, but all, all the Macs, which was way overdue, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, so now so now they're only twice as expensive as, as getting them from someone else. Uh, so, yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure how it compares, but they have made, I mean, in some cases, they've slashed as much as 50% off the price. Which, and rightly so, to be honest, because, yeah. you know, if you're going to sell a machine where the only way you can, uh, you know, have a larger SSD than the default is to have it built to order um, and soldered on, then it should not be egregiously expensive, should it? It's um, Exactly. I think that's just but, no, about but, time. Well, yeah, and here's here's the thing, you know, you've got, in the desktop line, you, you basically have, uh, right now, two different computers. You've got the Mac mini and you've got the iMac. Um, the, the 2013 Mac pros, you'd be an yeah. idiot to buy one. And the new Mac pros aren't out yet. And in neither case of either the, the Mac mini or the iMac, can you add more storage internally? So if you can't add more storage and your only options is to go external, then yeah, you know, you, you had better make it so that the, the fastest potential storage speed that you can get, which is internal, is going to be at least competitive when when you're talking about doing a build to order machine. I mean, it should be. You know, it Apple Apple has has really high margins, you know, the biggest margins than anyone else in the industry for for their computers. And at some point it's kind of like, can can you can you cut us a break? Can you cut us just a little break here? Yeah. Could you just give us at least, you know, especially as I say, when they're forcing you into buying their their SSDs, then directly from them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it did feel basically like gouging. Well, it was gouging. You were being gouged. No, it, it completely, it completely <laughs> was. It was, it was profit for the sake of profit. You know, I mean, I've, I've been a Mac user since 1987, but I, I don't have blinders on when it comes to this stuff. No, I mean, Apple have always been stingy with RAM yeah. and um, so on, but you know, at least in the past, you could buy a base model and put your own RAM in it. And um, exactly, you know, Apple's, Apple's in this to make money. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, everything they do is geared toward separating you from the money that's in your wallet. And, you know, if Apple products are what you want, well, then that's that's the price that you pay as compared to, you know, cheap ass Android phones or or potentially bug ridden Windows PCs. Uh, you know, we we expect a certain amount of quality from Apple and generally, generally, that's what they deliver. But you pay for that. But at the same time, you know, why not just give us a little bit of a break? Yeah. I, I'm I'm all for that. I don't mind paying a premium, but there's paying a premium and there's feeling like you're being yeah. shafted. And then there's putting a gun to my head. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, there we go. So that's good news. I guess that's good news. They've cut their SSD upgrade pricing to uh, something a little something, less egregious. A, a, little, a little less unreasonable. Yeah. There we are. Um, of course, I... If you're, uh, yeah, as you say, if you've been a Mac user since 87, you, like me, will remember the days when 
if you bought a Mac 2 uh, range, you know, in my case, my first machine was a Mac 2 CX. And uh, mm-hmm. it was about, uh, if I recall, somewhere around five thousand pounds at the time. Uh, but by the way, yeah, and that's five thousand nineteen eighty dollars or pounds. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like nineteen eighty-eight dollars or whatever it was. Um, but you used to have to buy the keyboard and the mouse separately on top yeah. of the cost of the Mac, despite the fact that the only what way was... you could get a, uh, a a keyboard for a Mac was to buy an Apple keyboard because they used the ADB and nobody else in the world used that. So, well, Logitech and there was another company finally did. Yeah. uh, As as long as with, with mice as well, because I've always despised the, the various mice that Apple have, have created over the years. So um, with, with my first Mac, which was a Mac plus I had the Apple keyboard, but I had somebody else's mouse because I hated Apple's mouse. And that really solidified when the iMac originally came out. Oh, well, the, yes, the, the ghastly hockey puck mouse. Oh, so bad. It was so like, awful. That was awful. It looked great. Yeah, even and it, now, was, it was terrible to use. Diabolical. It was. Even now, I, I mean, I use a trackball. I use either a trackball or a trackpad. I, I don't use the magic mice. The magic mouse is one of those things you either love or hate. And um, I'm quite a small chap with small hands, so I find the magic mouse quite nice to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the, you know, the touch surface uh, and all that. I And this is not, um, you know, not to frame any kind of uh, generalization, but I do notice that a lot of people with bigger hands find the magic mouse harder to use because it's very slim and it's very low profile. Um, How did you know I have big hands? Well, you're a large man. <laughs> you're six <laughs> foot seven, unless you have little Something. tiny weenie doll's hands on the end of your arms. <laughs> I had a hand transplant. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Just so I could use an Apple mouse. Uh, yeah. You know, I can understand why a lot of people don't like it because if if you have larger hands and I have, you know, really quite small hands, I'm only five foot four. So, you know, um, if you have quite long fingers or, or larger hands, then that I can imagine that that would be quite difficult to use. I mean, I can imagine that um, in your case, Guy, you'd probably be having to work it with just your front, you know, your first two fingers and it would not hardly reach yeah. the palm of your hand. Um if you prefer, you know, uh, a more traditional um, kind of humpbacked palm of the hand type uh, mouse, then that is never going to suit you, is it? You know, um, no. So I, I personally really, really like the Magic Mouse. But that said, you know, there <laughs> in our office, there are two of us who really love it. And there are two people in my office who really do not like the Magic Mouse at all. <laughs> so. <laughs> Read of that what you will. Um, also, some people find the touch surface confusing um, and they find themselves, you know, why am I randomly scrolling across the across the page? Um, there we go. Uh, right. Uh, now, of course, we're all uh, pretty much suspect, do we not, that Apple are working on some kind of augmented reality glasses. I mean, Uncle Tim has mentioned it uh, plenty of times. He's also kind of, hinted that um apple are in no rush i think he explicitly said we're not bothered about being first we care about being the best um right so no nobody you know and they've hired endless ar related uh people 
over the last couple of years. Um, unconfirmed reports suggest Apple has killed off the <laughs> AR glasses project. Um, Say it ain't so. I personally think that is an absolute load of cobblers. This is predicated um, on the fact that uh, the guy Apple hired, um, whose name escapes me now, but had worked at... Um, he'd worked at Microsoft on HoloLens. He'd worked various places, all. Um, and at the time that uh, he left, we talked about it on the show, and it was obvious from the guy's uh, CV that he's um, like a project starter. His whole career has been around, you know, developing new concepts, um, right. getting them off the ground and setting up a team to, uh, you know, start working on it. And then he moves on. He's, uh, you know, his career history indicates that that's what he does. He comes in, sets up a new project, gets it off the ground and says, I think this is where you need to go and this is how you need to tackle it. And then he moves on to another challenge. So um, when he left, I don't think anybody was particularly surprised. We all kind of said, I suspect that means he's got the team up and going. He's got the project rolling and now he's off in search of pastures new. Um, anyway, this rumour is predicated on the fact that he left and saying that, uh, you know, the, the team was then disbanded. I don't think that's true at all. Um, no, probably not. Probably not. Um, more interestingly than that, uh, and rather more positively, I came across an article uh, which says AR, uh, Apple's AR glasses could help visually impaired people see the full picture. Uh, this was on Apple Insider. It was rather interesting um, in that they're suggesting from, uh, of course, some kind of patent that they've come across that um, AR glasses could help visually impaired people by actually um, warping the uh, visual field. So, for example, if people suffer from degraded peripheral vision, um, you, your AR glasses could effectively compress the image of, uh, you know, what's in front of you down into the area that you could see. As long as that could be measured, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I, as a concept, uh, I, I thought that was quite interesting because what they're saying is, you know, I, I could see that. I could see that working. If you, you know, a lot of people suffer from, um, effectively, for one reason or another, various medical conditions lead to, in effect, tunnel vision. And um, if you could, you know, squash the visual field into the area of their uh, vision that they can actually see, um, almost like a fisheye lens, I suppose, that would probably be quite helpful. I would agree. So there we go. Um, and, you know, I, Apple are always thinking about these things, developing these things. I cannot see them disbanding their AR glasses um, project, you know, any more than I suspect they've disbanded Project Titan. Just doesn't, just because they don't talk <laughs> about it doesn't mean they've given up on it. There we are. Um, so there's links there. Um, Venture Beat had the uh, had the original Dory, which I ca I, I believe uh, came from Digi Times, um, and Digi Times have a pretty spotty uh, record, to be honest, on their uh, predictions. So I I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, couple of other uh, things that come up this week. Hulu uh, is re-enabling 4K streaming for the uh, Chromecast and the Apple TV. Um, which is good news if you use Hulu, I suppose, and have an Apple TV. Well, I mean, considering it's it's a paid service, why wouldn't they? You know, yeah. I mean, even if even if they're pushing their own hardware, you know, people, especially these days of of people, you know, cord cutting from their cable systems, 
if if you want to bring those people on board, well, then you've got to make your content available to as many people as possible. And Apple needs to listen to that very carefully, because I don't know if their new uh, cable or streaming service that's supposed to come out sometime this year will work on anything other than an Apple TV. And if it only works on Apple TV, well, they're kind of setting themselves up for failure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although. Um... They've been very cagey about, you know, I mean, they've added, they added. How all, um, how it's, yeah. How, how it's all going to work. Yeah. And obviously we know they added um, like iTunes and whatnot to an Apple TV. I think, did they not add that to a load of smart TVs? And um, yeah, they're very cagey. Yeah, yeah, Who just, knows? Just as, they, just as they were getting ready to kill iTunes. <laughs> yeah. uh, my guess, my guess would be that, the, the the three applications, podcasts, music, and TV, is going to replace iTunes on pretty much all of the, the various devices and smartphones, sorry, yes. smart TVs Whatever. that uh, well, Apple everywhere. is currently on with iTunes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, uh, you know, I'm on the Catalina beta, so I have, um, I have those three applications. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. But, um, well, yeah, it's, um. No, it's not as stable as previous betas have been. Um, I will say that I have not suffered any of the, you know, horrors that a lot of people are um, shouting about. Um, I think the fact that they went with a complete new name, so they, you know, we had Sierra, High Sierra, then Mojave. Um, rather than doing something related to Mojave, um, they've gone to a complete new name. I think that's fairly indicative of the fact that, you know, there is a lot of changes going on in this version. It's, yeah, well, if it's it's the one it's the one true 64-bit operating system. You can't even use 32-bit apps on no, it. No, you can't. You cannot use 32-bit stuff at all. Um which is why I haven't I haven't tried the beta for it yet. It's um it's okay. I'm on oh, I'm public beta 2. I haven't run into, you know, loads of issues. But there is weirdness. iCloud in particular is weird and somewhat flaky. I will tell you that. Um, I have a tendency to go into my iCloud drive and find multiple versions of various folders. So you'll find documents, documents 2, documents 3, documents 4, um, with various dates on them, which is a little disconcerting, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) And also my... um, my iPhone now only sometimes unlocks my Apple Watch, which is really yeah. Um, you Are know, you on the beta for that too? I'm on the beta of iOS 13. Uh, my watch is okay. not on beta because my watch is a Series Zero and ah. it's stalled at. Um, it, it can't be updated anyway. No, it's at um, Watch OS 4. I mean, a load of people were going on about the betas, going, "Oh no, Apple Watch, you know, no Watch OS 6 for the Series Zero." It's like wake up and smell the coffee. There was no Watch OS 5 for the Series Zero, so I don't know what you're on about there. Pay attention, people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's both of them are working reasonably well for me. Less stable than previous um, years betas, I will admit, but I have not experienced anything disastrous. I will say that. Well, the only beta that I'm using is the iPad OS beta on a first gen 12.9 uh, iPad pro. And 
the only weirdness that I've seen is sometimes because you know how in the upper part in the upper bar of the iPad you see the you see it like time and date. Yeah, I won't see that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see that now for whatever reason, and it's turned on. So the only thing I can think of is there's you know something weird going on, and it's you know every single time it updates, I go ahead and and do a, uh, a reboot if it doesn't do it itself. So I'm not sure why that's going on, but I'm sure it'll get fixed. But the rest of it, I really like. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 liking iOS 13 very much on my on my phone. As I say, a couple of uh, couple of minor hiccups, but nothing to make me. Sure. Uh, that's a beta. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a beta. Um, in fact, I, I reported um, a, a weird bug to uh, Proton Mail. Uh, I have a bug where um, HTML mail uh, will, when you open it, uh, you, if you touch the screen to scroll, it then scrolls a random amount um, all on its own and then freezes. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't kill the app. You can go back to the rest of your mail, but you cannot scroll the HTML uh, mail up and down. And I reported it to um, Proton and they politely wrote back and said, well, you know, you are on, um, you're using a beta and we're not, um, you know, we're not really supporting they that. They haven't made it work yet. And I, I just well, said, I'm sure they're going to. They almost have to. Well, I said, you know, look, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not uh, asking you to help me out here. I'm, well, I'm, I am telling you I'm using a beta OS and I'm using a beta build of Proton Mail for iOS. I'm just reporting to you there's some weirdness here. And they went, oh, thank you. Okay. Thanks for that then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm not, I'm not going to castigate you. I mean, Ulysses, um, I haven't put it in the show notes, but Ulysses, See, the, the, you, the writing. You didn't, you didn't put the ultimate line in there. Don't you realize <laughs> I do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they know that because they've been on oh. once. Um, oh, okay. Um, Ulysses, the writing app, uh, wrote a, a piece. Uh, I'm not sure where it was, whether it was on their blog or whether it was on Twitter, saying, you know, if you use Ulysses, please don't um, install the, you know, the betas. The, the Apple betas because they're more flaky than past years and we're not supporting them yet. And it's one of those things where, you know, people are contacting developers going, your app doesn't work properly on my beta OS and why haven't you fixed it? And it's like, oh, this again, really? You know, if you install betas, you should know stuff is not necessarily supported. And if it breaks, that's your problem. It's not the, you know, you can tell the dev, by all means, you can tell a company, sorry, I'm using, you know, Apple beta, whatever it is, and uh, your app appears to not work properly on it. Fine, they, they might be well pleased to know that, but don't shout at them that they need to fix it. They bloody well don't. <laughs> No, yeah, as long as their app developers. is as long as their app is ready to go when Catalina goes public, you know, sometime in probably September, then they're you know they're good to go. Um, Paul Cafarsis, for example, uh, almost never supports beta um, OSs because he spends his time making sure that the the apps are ready to you know roll out when it when it goes public. Um, right. Well, nice. you can you can bet that that Rogue Amoeba is has all the betas and that they are working to uh, make sure that their apps are going to work with it on day of release, or at least as best they can. Yeah. But yeah, why, why would they, why would they release beta versions to the public? I'm sure that I'm sure there are lots of people out there that are using beta versions of various rogue ame amoeba, um, um, almost said projects, uh, rogue amoeba, rogue amoeba. I will learn to speak one day. Rogue amoeba apps 
but they're they're not talking about it because well, what they're, they're doing under is, NDA. is testing. <laughs> they're yeah. probably under NDA because they're testing them. Um, I mean, some people, you know, don't mind shipping out betas. Um, uh, Mike Bombick, for example, um, wet, you know, when I first installed Catalina, um, Carbon Copy Cloner launched itself with a big warning saying, this is not tested on this OS and probably should not be used. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, that's fair enough because they've made a whole load of changes to the way the disk works. Um, and uh, actually... Mike put a piece on there, uh, I think it's on his blog, explaining the changes in the way APFS behaves and the fact that the, your hard drive is now split effectively into a write-only partition and uh, a read-write partition with very clever, what they're calling firm links between it to make it all appear as just one logical volume, um, which was an interesting read, yeah, by the way. How could, how could that go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know... Um, but a few days later, um, I got a notification saying, you know, um, CCC B1 for whatever version is coming next is available. Warning, this is a beta, you know, but if you're running the Catalina beta, you should download this and um, still be aware that it might not work properly. But if you'd rather have something rather than nothing, feel free. So there you go. Um you know, and that has the obvious disclaimer. If you use this and it trashes your data, it's not my fault. Exactly. Yeah, there we are. Um, so that was it. Um, Wei Han, uh, you know, friend of the show and iOS developer, has uh, sent me a link saying Apple has made available searchable transcript for the WWDC 2019 videos for developers. Uh, link for that, if you're interested in that sort of thing, will be in the show notes. Um, and I think, Guy, we should take five minutes break um, to go over to Nemo's hardware store, where he's going to tell us about the 12 South High Rise wireless. So, uh, cool. Cool. Take it away, John. The talented engineers and designers at 12 South, T W E L V E S O U T H, 12South.com, have a new combination charger that I can personally recommend. High Rise, H I R I S E. High-rise wireless, three-way wireless charger in a beautiful package, $80 in the U.S. Has a chrome and leather stand. It's in my hand right now. It's got a leather base and a very substantial, quite heavy in a good way, meaning really strong and stable, dark metal square surround on it. You must see the pictures to appreciate it. And then there's this oblong oval that you can either slip in or pop out and a nice long USB-C charging cable. So when you pull the oval, which is the actual charging pad, out, you can set your AirPods on it, or you can set your iPhone on it, or anything else that uses the Qi Chi charging method. When you travel, you can just take the oval and the USB-C cable, and you can charge your device or devices right from your computer. So the base stays home. So next time I travel, I'm not taking the base, because Qi chargers tend to be larger and more cumbersome than I like to have when I'm traveling. And I've talked about that recently. Not very big. It fits comfortably in my hand. I can set it down, put the AirPods on there, put the iPhone on there when I'm traveling or if I want to move it around the house. Then I just insert it back into the very substantial base and mount. 
and then I can lean the phone against it and charge it like a more conventional Qi charger. This is really nice. They have a good website for it. We'll have that link in our show notes. Describes it, has pictures, shows it in different settings. We've got the specs. And $80 is a lot to spend on a charger, but you'll have this forever. It can handle up to 10 watts of charging. Beautiful design and the form factor and the weight and the balance are just right. So I've been using it ever since it arrived a week or so ago. And it is now my iPhone charger of choice. That's it for this week on Nemo's Hardware Store. We want to congratulate 12 South for the high-rise wireless, H-I-R-I-S-E, the three-in-one wireless charger in the beautiful package. It is definitely exactly that. Save up your nickels and dimes, get one of these things, and you will be delighted, and you'll be the envy of everybody else in your life. Back next week. Thank you, John. Um, And that is the 12 South high-rise wireless. Um, And John has asked me to point out, by the way, uh, it does not come with a USB charger. You need to supply your own USB power supply, apparently. Not quite sure why that is so, but it is. Uh, There we are. So, Guy. um, Yeah. I thought we could talk a little about this. Uh, Chiplets are, uh, you know, the future of uh, silicon. Um, I don't know if you listened to the uh, Tech Pinions podcast link that I sent you uh, earlier, but um, they had a fascinating discussion. And uh, I've got a link here to Extreme Tech, uh, which is chiplets are both a solution to and a symptom of a larger problem. Um, And for anybody who's not uh, aware, uh, AMD in particular are talking about uh, what are being described in the industry as chiplets. And um, what that basically means is, over time, uh, you know, microprocessors have become massively complicated, massively um, difficult to construct. And um, we've been getting more power um, or, you know, processing power out of them by adding more cores and by uh, reducing what they call the process nodes. That is, we've gone down from, you know, 60 nanometers to 50 nanometers to 20 nanometers to now some of them are down to seven nanometer. Um, yeah, the, it's a process. It's a manufacturing process. Yes, it is. It's the, the, the width of the pipelines, if you will, down which they shove the electrons uh, in the right. silicon. Um, and that creates, you know, the, 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 the tighter they make that spec, the more problems I think it creates. The, 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 whole, the whole point of reducing the size of the silicon that goes into your computers is so that you can make computers smaller and smaller and smaller. But well, eventually you, you, hit a, you hit kind of a diminishing return. Well, there's also, uh, there, there was another, uh, you know, physics related point, And that was, um, if you can reduce the, the size of the pipelines sufficiently, then you generate less heat as you shove the electrons down the pipe. Because in a, a rough analogy, if you imagine a load of um, you know um, sand being shoved down a pipe, uh, like in a um, you know a sandblaster, if you have a large pipe and a lot of sand going through there, a lot of that sand is jiggling as it goes down the pipe, and it will heat the pipe up through mechanical um, action. And to some extent, you sure. get a similar effect as you shove electrons down the pathways. So when we were talking about 50 nanometer um, dies, 
the pathways were 50 nanometers across and quite a lot of electrons will make their way down that pipe and they are being, you know, there's a lot of jiggling, as it were, and that causes um, heat as you shove the electrons down. So, you know, part of the original point was if we can reduce the size of the pathways, we will um, be able to use less power and generate less heat. But, as you say, Guy, we have now come to a point uh, where, you know, when you get down to single-figure um, dies, you know, seven nanometers, as the smallest ones are, I think, at the moment, you do mm-hmm. hit a law of diminishing returns. Also, chip manufacturers have uh, started to find that not Well, their, all... yield, their yields are going to be a lot less, too. Yeah, but also they are finding that not all uh, sections of the, the CPU necessarily work best at the same process uh, node, as they call it. So, for example, um, I'm being told by, you know, people who know about these things that, um, for example, input-output uh, modules often perform better at sort of 12 to 15 nanometers than they do at 7 Um so uh, the idea basically is, I mean, at the moment, a modern CPU is practically, if you want to have an analogy, it's practically a whole motherboard on a single wafer of silicon. It, you know, it may contain all sorts of um, parts. Yeah, you've got memory controllers and input-output controllers and a GPU possibly and a CPU and a whole load of other um, pieces. And, of course, when you talk about uh, SOC, uh, then you literally are talking about putting a whole computer onto a single silicon wafer. Um, right, computer on a chip. Well, yeah, it's, isn't it? But you're putting a whole motherboard, effectively, onto one piece of silicon. Um, like, for example, on, on your Apple Watch, that's, that's an SOC, and that contains the modem and all sorts of things. So AMD and others have been talking about effectively in some respects going backwards and breaking apart these monolithic cpus into chiplets so that you would have a very small chip which maybe does the memory control you know you have a a small cp individual cpu an individual gpu and then you interconnect all of these rather than putting them on one silicon wafer you interconnect them with very high-speed uh, interconnects. Um, I believe AMD's is called Infinity Cloth. Um, there are others. Now, this is quite, you know, this is quite early technology, um, but it was a, a fascinating, fascinating um, thing. So, you know, the Extreme uh, Tech uh, article, which I've linked to, is well worth a read. And uh, if you really want to uh, get some insight, I highly recommend the uh, this week's Tech Pinions podcast, where Bob O'Donnell and uh, Tim Baharan um, go into some depth about this. Um, it's it's fascinating, and I very much think that it probably is the future. One of the other reasons, of course, that manufacturers are talking about uh, doing this is because what they're saying is the number of um, chips you can get out of a wafer obviously reduces as the size. The cost. As, well, as the, as the size of the CPU that you're making goes up, there is, you know, you get less return out of your silicon wafer yeah. because there's, there's a lot all of that waste. bit around the edge that you can't use. If you break them down... Well, not, only of- that, not only that, but you've got... When, when you're talking about a process to create a, a seven nanometer uh, chipset, 
because if you look at one of these, for people who've never seen one, the, these wafers are typically round. And, you know, like, like you were saying, Simon, all the ones on the edge are, are basically useless. You can't use them for anything. Uh, but you, the, the smaller, the smaller you go in nanometers for each one of these, these internal little modules that are on one of these huge wafers, uh, the, the more of those little modules just aren't going to be good enough to be used. So your yield, and when, when you're talking about the cost of something, the higher the yield, the less the, the less the cost. But if your yield drops below a certain part, you're, you're going to have a lot of garbage. It's going to be a lot of stuff that you can't use just because it, they just weren't able to make it work properly. So going back up to 10 to 15 uh, nanometers for chipsets will essentially give us a higher yield without sacrificing that much in heat generation and lower the cost overall. You know, I, I don't really understand this obsession with making you know it's the same kind of thing with, with imax is it really necessary that that my imac looked like a cheese cutter no i don't think it really is it it can look like the ones that we had from 10 years ago where you have where you had like the thick edges all the way around and uh does it does that mean that that particular imac takes up more space than the imac that i have now no it takes up the exact same amount of space so to to just push this this agenda where you have to have smaller and smaller uh chipsets i think is is ridiculous and it, it doesn't it it it's progress for the sake of progress as compared to progress that actually means anything well of course the other the other part of this uh chiplet solution uh that they're talking about is is the you know the foundries are saying at the moment you know if you've got a, an enormously complex cpu with a whole load of components if any one of those components is, you know, subpar when it comes off the, you know, the production lot, then you probably have to either throw that away mm -hmm. or, you know, if it's a, about the number of cores. So if you're designing a chip, you know, a CPU and it's supposed to have 18 cores, if if one of those cores is no good, it's not an 18 core chip. You probably have to sell it, you know, have to, in software, turn off um, five more cores and sell it as a 12 core chip um, right. at a lower cost but also there will be parts of it which you know if that part is duff if the memory controller is dud then that whole chip is useless right so it was well, saying for it <laughs> yeah. but if you are effectively producing these um components of a cpu individually if you like back you know you're thinking back into the old days of a, a motherboard having lots and lots of different chips all doing individual little jobs if you're effectively doing splitting your cpu apart again in that way the the yield will be better because if and less expensive if you are making a lot you know you're making however many memory controllers out of a wafer the ones that are dud can simply be thrown away and that's nowhere near as bad a loss as you know the memory controller in a $300 CPU is bad therefore that $300 CPU is junk is gone yep so um it, it's it's intriguing because we have made these chips more and more complicated, more and more powerful, more and more integrated. And now the manufacturers are saying, actually, what we need to do is to start to pull them apart again into individual chiplets. Um, 
I find that fascinating. There we go. Yep. Uh, like I say, uh, probably far more interesting to listen to uh, Bob and Tim on the Tech Pinions podcast <laughs> talking about it um, because they know far more about it than me and are far better brief. But it's um, head over there and have a listen because they make it. They yeah. uh, it was a really good primer into this. Um, and leading on from that, actually, was the second thing I wanted to talk about which was in the second half of that show, they were talking about 5G because they have recently been to a demonstration of uh, 5G. Um, now, obviously, everybody is telling us 5G is the future. 5G is going to be wonderful. 5G is going to be pink dancing unicorns bringing your chilled beer to you, you know, uh, for free, apparently. Um, I'm not so sure about that, to be honest. I think we should be worrying more about getting 3 and 4G to cover everybody. <laughs> well, uh, it's easier to do in... in a, I, I don't want this to sound condescending. <laughs> in a, in, a, in a, a relatively small country. Yes. Um, we, but we Japan, do. for example, has excellent 4G coverage. Yes. Whereas is- someplace like Russia or the United States is, is going to struggle with that just because of all the empty space. Yeah, because of all between. the empty space, I know. Um, but this is, you know, this is why I'm I'm dubious about all this talk about 5G, because one thing that we do know about 5G um, is that it's it might be high speed, um, and we'll come on to that in a minute, but, um, it, you know, you can, with 5G, apparently get speeds approaching 2 gigabits per second. Um, unfortunately, it has a range of about a hundred foot. Um, that's and that'll from, change going forward. Well, I'm not sure it will. Um, that's the kind of law of physics. <laughs> oh, physics. I laugh at such things. Yeah, yeah physics. We did, you know, Scotty always said he couldn't bend the rules of physics and then promptly did. So <laughs> why can't we? Um, yeah. That, I mean, I've heard a rumour, and this is a rumour and quite possibly nonsense, but I've heard a rumour that um, there was a plan put forward to uh, replace the LED bulbs in LED streetlights in the UK uh, with LED bulbs also fitted with a 5G, uh, like, you know, relay, so that you could blanket large enough areas with 5G. Um I don't know. That, that, it seems to me that that would be it would be less expensive to just put a small antenna on each one of those light posts or a small transmitter instead of you know trying to incorporate a transmitter into an LED bulb. Well, exactly. You know, this is one of these weird and wonderful things you you hear. I'm not I'm not putting any faith in it whatsoever. But um, what I'm what I'm saying, and uh, you know, what the I guess the kernel of truth in in that sort of uh, um, story is that if 5G is going to work, we are actually going to have to literally have 5G everywhere. You're going to have to have quite literally a transmitter on every lamppost, you know, Um, and maybe even, you know, 5G, 5G relay transmitters inside your house in order to maintain coverage. Um, the other thing, and this is something which I didn't know um, and was was very uh, enlightening, is that 5G at the moment is being postulated at two different um, spectrum bands. There's a super high frequency. Um, I forget the exact um, the exact figure, but there's a super high frequency 5G uh, being postulated, which uh, it you know can reach these sort of 
approaching two gigabit per second speeds and only has this, you know, hundred foot coverage. Range, right. And line of sight, by the way. No, it's got no penetration. It's not like your, you know, not like your bog standard Wi-Fi that can penetrate most walls and, and so on. Um, and there's another spectrum being uh, pushed forward for 5G, which is called the sub six gigahertz millimeter wave band. Um, now, this apparently has the disadvantage that it cannot reach these, you know, massive speeds. Um, apparently, in some cases, it might not even be as fast as 4G LTE. Uh, however, it does have the advantage that it has a lot longer range than the super high frequency. Um, again, you know, it's probably worth going over and listening to uh, the Tech Pins podcast because they explain it in much greater depth than I can um, really recall. But it, again, fascinating because these are the things which, you know, we are being told are the future. And yet, at the moment, uh, you know, are riddled with technical hurdles that um, nobody apparently really knows how they're going to overcome. So um, I have a link here. No, 5G is not going to make your 4G LTE phone obsolete from CNET in the show notes. Um, which also, of course, is why when I see all these pundits uh, guy saying... Um, you know, Apple are behind the curve because they're not doing a 5G phone. Oh, whoa, you know, the death yeah. knell. It's like cobblers, cobblers. There is no 5G really at the moment. And even where there is, there's not an agreed standard. And it's not going to roll out anywhere, you know, in large anytime. quantity anytime soon. Nobody... Yeah, there's just like a couple of places here in the States that they have like some limited 5G um, coverage. Chicago, I believe, had a... a yeah, area I think out. San Francisco as well. But, but you know, it, it's very, very small areas. And, there's, you know, again, unless, unless there's an agreed on standard for everybody, then it, it's not going to take off. It's just not going to work. And um, the other the other thing which came to light uh, during their discussion actually was um, apparently the at the moment the Qualcomm uh, 5G modem which is being pushed only supports one of those uh, spectrums. Right. So uh, because apparently you can you can buy um, an add-on for your phone which contains this um, 5G Qualcomm modem, and you can, you know, attach it to your smartphone in order to upgrade your smartphone to 5G. Um, but that... But there's not much point in doing it right now. No, there's no point. There's no point. And it's why Apple are not wasting their time putting 5G modems in iPhones. It's it, it, nonsense. And to sort of say that they're somehow technologically behind the curve is rubbish. Quite sensibly, what they're saying is, why would we put something in our phones for which we will have to charge our customers, uh, which, you know, 99 point vanishingly small recurring number of nines, um, customers will have no use for? Because a 5G modem is not going to cost nothing, is it? No. <laughs> especially, like, in, especially in the beginning. Yeah, no. So there we are. Um, for the moment, I'm. I have to say, I'm quite happy for Apple not to bother about a 5G iPhone um, until such time as you know. It's a bit. It's a bit like the whole 
Farago really about you know the iPhone was Edge originally and not 3G, yeah. and then it was 3G. But what you know, oh, other people have got 4G. Well, I can assure you, guy, that it was a very, very long time after I had an iPhone 3G that 3G was rolled out where I live. In fact, I don't think we could get 3G where I live until I had an iPhone 4. So, <laughs> you know, um, I have to admit that 4G rolled out much quicker, I, I assume, because 4G probably was built on the back of the infrastructure for 3G. But, um, you know, it was a long time here in the UK before 3G was widely available. Um, so, again, you know, I just... I, I mean... This 5G stuff is fascinating. Again, you know, technologically, it's fascinating, but there just seem to be a huge number of hurdles to get over before we start talking about yeah. it as, a, as an everyday technology. And with the kind of speeds that it promises, assuming that it can be made of, you know, widely available, uh, why would you, I mean, at, at some point, we're going to reach wireless speeds that, that will make you just say, why do I need a cable in the U S a cable provider, or why do I need a satellite provider? Or why do I need, you know, any of these other outside sources when uh, T-Mobile or Sprint or Verizon or 3G or, you know, whatever company it is that you get your, your service from has you know equivalent speeds or at least speeds that are good enough for me to do everything that it is that I need to do online. Indeed. And actually, that was something else that came up uh, in their discussion, because obviously they're industry analysts. So part of uh, the things that fascinate them is, you know, where they, you know, where various companies are going. And that is that this um, sub six um, gigahertz millimeter waveband, uh, a whole chunk of that spectrum is owned by um, a company in the US called Dish. Um, yeah. And that makes them from a company nobody's bloody well heard of, pretty much, into a hot property because they own a whole chunk of the spectrum, which is being proposed. Uh, and then apparently there's a whole shenanigans going on in the US. Is it um, T-Mobile and Sprint, is it? or Well, you've got, I mean... <sighs> It's there's the, a there's a purported you know a proposed merger is there not between two of your carriers? Oh, it's um isn't it? I think it's Sprint and Verizon. Sprint and Verizon, okay. But that you know that is uh, something that I think your um, anti-competition um, yeah the FTC people are not overly keen on. So then there's a whole load of. Uh, you know, there's a whole discussion there about um, Dish maybe being partnered with somebody else in order to make up the fourth, um, you know, the fourth network provider. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And intrigues me no end, Guy. Really does. Right. A um, couple of uh, quick things on the security and privacy front then. Um, Dougie, our resident uh, security man in the Slack brings us a good reason to use a reputable VPN you can trust. Um, and that is that uh, VPNpro.com uh, investigated a whole bunch of uh, VPNs, 97 in fact, and found that actually they belong to only 23 companies, many of them, shall we say, uh, less than shining bright on the... Uh, <laughs> Somewhat on, on, questionable. On the spectrum of, uh, you know, good behavior. Um, 
So again, this is not something, you know, this is not something new. This is something we've talked about before. Um, yes, you know, I very much advocate that everybody should probably be using a VPN, certainly when you're out and about. And if not, then, uh, you know, if not all the time, I use mine all the time now, even at home, never turn it off. Um, but you need to know that your provider is trustworthy. Um, so there you go. Uh, this, of course, comes on top of the um, revelation not that long ago that a lot of uh, so-called free VPNs, particularly for Android, uh, belong to the Chinese and are almost useless, if not actually worse than not using a VPN at all. Um, right. Because in China, the whole point of using a VPN is so that the government doesn't know what it is that you're doing. But if they own the VPN that you're using, then what's the point? Yes. Um, and if you are, you know, not in China and you're using one of these, uh, you know, cheap or dodgy VPNs, they could well be harvesting all your data and sending it to the Chinese government as well. So there we go. Uh, be careful. Uh, there's a link also here. Um, from the Search Encrypt blog for 22 VPN services to protect your privacy. Um, I can't necessarily endorse any of these, but they appear to have basically picked out 22 services which they uh, are not on the list of 97 uh, owned by 23 less than shining stars of morality companies. So uh, <laughs> there we are. Um, if you are going to use a VPN, you know, check into it. I'm, uh, as everybody who listens to this show probably knows, I'm a big, uh, you know, proponent of Proton VPN and Proton Mail. Um, however, I, you know, I have to admit that, uh, you know, no VPN is perfect for everybody. And uh, Donny, Donny has looked at Proton VPN, and for him, because he has a lot of devices to support in his family. Um, Proton VPN works out more expensive than some of the competitors. You know, I, I only really need to worry, uh, from my point of view, I'm only really worrying about, uh, you know, about three or four devices of my own. So that that's fine. Um, you know, Donnie's worrying about 10, 15 devices. Um, on Proton, that can become quite pricey. So he is a big fan of Windscribe uh, VPN, who have a plan which allows you to add devices um, at a very small uh, cost above the base, for example. Um, and Dougie himself is a big fan of uh, private internet access. Uh, you know, by all means, do your research and pick one that works for you. But yep. just be sure that they are trustworthy. Um, skipping on quickly, uh, TrickBot returns with a new attack which has compromised 250 million email addresses. Um, is that all? Yeah, there we go. I know. More... <laughs> More, more misery, more security yeah. misery. Um, of course, this week we had the Zoom fiasco, um, where oh the God. Zoom, um, well, they they're a, a kind of video conferencing application, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even, do I, I don't even know if I've got that on my. Do I have? No, I don't have it on my. Oh, yes, I do. Well, oh, good. Apparently, <laughs> yes, on Macs, only on Macs, Zoom were uh, getting their service to work by installing a local web server. Um, now, that in and of itself is not necessarily a particularly bad thing, but it turns out apparently their local web server was riddled with security holes. Um, and, uh, Which was, was the only, people... apparently the only, th the only way they could make it work was yes. by having all the security holes. It's like, well, if, if, you're, if your service you know, depends on security holes, 
maybe you shouldn't offer that service. Mm. But more disturbingly, um, you know, there were two kind of parts to this. One, that they were doing it. Okay, that's not necessarily, um, you know, shady in and of itself, except uh, as far as I'm aware, they weren't actually telling people that when you do this, this is what will happen. Um, And worse, if you decided you didn't like the Zoom service or the Zoom application and uh, uninstalled it, it didn't remove the local web server. Right. Oops. Um, Zoom, apparently, having been called out on this, have done something or other to fix uh, this situation. And Apple uh, have been silently, uh, silently removing the Zoom web server from Macs and replacing it with a apparently a patched version, which is not insecure and does not do such a thing, as far as I understand it. Um, there we go. So not a good look and uh, not particularly great for Mac users, that one. Um, also, of course, Apple, uh, not in the show notes, Apple have uh, temporarily, apparently, shut down the walkie-talkie feature on Apple Watches that support that. Um, you know, I saw that and I don't really understand i mean it's i guess it's supposed to be a privacy issue but how is it supposed to is is it based on the fact that anyone can hear what the other person is saying Uh, no apparently there was a bug in it similar to the facetime thing which allowed by some contrived you know series of events apparently it was possible to activate somebody's walkie-talkie and listen to them without them being aware that it had happened, I believe. Okay. Um, I can't um, I can't say I've looked into it at great depth because my watch doesn't do walkie-talkie and everybody I've spoken to said, uh, yeah, walkie-talkie, wasn't that that cute thing they announced and everybody used like once and then forgot about. But um, Apple, having been told that there is a bug, have temporarily shut down the service. So there you go, um, until they can fix it. Um, Not been a great couple of weeks for Windows either, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Microsoft had to issue a warning to 50 million Windows 10 users um, about a problem with uh, something that uh, works with VPNs in Windows 10. Um, Not good. Uh, They also confirmed that uh, the great Duke of Hell malware attack uh, is uh, on the loose and uh, dangerous. Um, I believe it goes in, under the name of Astaroth. But uh, this is apparently a very unpleasant piece of malware. Um, the research team have issued a warning, a warning to confirm that a notorious credential-stealing malware is targeting Windows users. It uses Invisible Man methodology by only running files within the attack chain, which are legitimate system tools and thus hides in plain sight. Um, Probably not necessarily something that average user needs to be uh, worried about, but, you know, very unpleasant nevertheless. Um, Facebook uh, are going to be fined $5 billion over the Cambridge Analytica scandal by the FCC, I believe. and I think most people's uh, view of that is $5 billion might be the biggest fine the FCC have ever dished out, but to Facebook, it's pocket change. Um, pretty much. Pretty much. I believe their income is, or their revenue is something like $15 billion a quarter. So um, I don't think they're going to cry too much about a $5 billion. Seems to me like a slap on the wrist. I think they should have been fined some, you know, something that might have actually stung. There we are. Um, 
quick worth of chirps because we've been going quite a long time. Uh, Mac Jim has uh, sent us the wireless flight adapter, Bluetooth 5 audio transmitter for headphones. Um, and this is, a, you know, a little box that you can plug your traditional wired headphones into uh, to make it into a Bluetooth set of headphones for those who have maybe expensive, you know, very expensive wired headphones that they don't wish to give up on. Um, and I believe uh, Alistair, also in the Slack room, um, reposted with, you could also try the Airfly Bluetooth audio adapter, um, which was reviewed on the Podfeet podcast. Um, what else? That's pretty much it. Um, oh, I have one here. The Apple Watch Series 3 currently has a £200 uh, knocked off the price in a limited time deal uh, by John Lewis here in the UK. Uh, that uh, applies to the stainless steel um, model, which I believe is about £400, £450. But uh, £200 off while stocks last. Um, I know it's a Series 3, not the latest model. Um, there you go. I mean, that's what I use. What, stainless steel one? Uh, no, mine is the, uh, what is it? The aluminium. Well, actually, it might be. It's, it's, no, it's black. So I guess, yeah, it's the. There we go. Would that be um, the stainless steel one? Well, you'd know if you bought a stainless steel one because it would probably cost you about $500 as opposed to about $250. Well, I, I, got, mine, I got mine through kind of a, a weird set of circumstances that ah, aren't right. really worth going into. So <laughs> I, okay. I didn't actually order it from a store. Right. Okay. Well, uh, fair enough. Um, yeah. You have a I mean, series they three. They couldn't I ran out. So, you know, mm. it's on them. There we go. And I'm last kidding. of all. Yep. There we go. Last of all, in the Justice Snippets, um, just before we uh, started recording the show, Mac Jim put a link in the show notes to uh, a Bastille Day. Uh, a flyboard takes part in a military display. Uh, link here to the BBC News. Um, and Guy and I have had a look at it. And um, wow. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, you've got a guy who looks like... Um, well, he looks uh, like he's on a skateboard with an M16. Yes, and a motorcycle helmet. Here. Yeah. Um, and he's flying in the air. Yes, this thing, is, uh, how the hell it's propelled, yeah. I do not know. Yeah. Um, how could this possibly, possibly go wrong? Yeah, indeed. Uh, as Guy said, if you're balancing on something in the air like that and you start firing a high-powered rifle, you're likely to go arse over back end. <laughs> yes. um, laws, you know, laws of reaction and all that. Yeah. Um, oh, that, that, that physics thing again. Yeah, it's that physics thing again. Damn it. Um there we are, but you know, interesting, worth a look. Um, I had, I did say to Guy in the break, uh, paint him green, and he could be the Mekon. There we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and another one here. Uh, I didn't really understand this because it's far too complicated for me. Um, goodbye aberration. A physicist has solved the two thousand year old optical problem of uh, aberration around the edge of lenses. I did read this. It's quite long. It's quite involved. Uh, it's fascinating, um, and it involves making non-spherical uh, weird lenses that go behind the first lens to correct the aberration, and it's complicated. Uh, the point is, nobody has previously solved it, uh, and now it has been effectively solved. Uh, that's on Petapixel. And that, I think, is probably about it, really. Um, thank you for coming on, Guy. Sure. Um, right, this is the bit, of course, where we do the wrap-up, and you uh, get to um, tout my yourself. Stuff? Yeah, tout okay. all your stuff. 
Uh, well, I do the MyMac.com podcast, which can be found nearly every week. I don't know if there'll be one this week as, as Gaz is over at Silverstone. Silverstone, Silverstone yeah. Silverstone, the, F, the F1 thingy where cars yes. go zoom. Zooming, zooming. Zoomy, zoomy. And uh, I also do on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time a little thing called Mac to the Future Go. That is a live cast over there on the Books of Face uh on occasion i do something dangerous in my car and vlog from there that's guys daily drive you can find the audio for both mac to the future and guys daily drive over there in itunes under guys daily drive uh if you would like to send me a missive i my email address is guy at mymac.com i can be found uh let's see i can be found on twitter either under mac parrot or vert shark v-e-r-t-s-h-a-r-k which is the uh the vertshark.com website is where i i put all of my non my mac stuff into uh, you can find all everything that i do there uh as well as links back to video and audio and and you know if i did one a semi four you know a semi four podcast which frankly the whole concept i find hilarious <laughs> and uh that's that that's about it very good um I am, of course, on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Probably better to follow that than the show, although the show is at Essential Apple. Uh, I have to admit, I mostly post stuff uh, uh, via my Serenak uh, account. Uh, We are, of course, uh, on the web at EssentialApple.com. Uh, this is the bit where I thank everybody who supports the show through Patreon or uh, otherwise. Um, thank you to all the slackers who put stories in and, uh, you know, give us things to talk about. Um, don't forget, we have an Amazon affiliate link. Uh, go over to the website, press the big red button, do your shopping and uh, costs you nothing. And we get a small amount of cash which is nice and uh, goes towards, of course, paying for things like hosting and the website and all those other little things that add up to, uh, you know, money, unfortunately. Yeah, minor details. Minor details, cash, money, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's probably pretty much it. Uh, I think that will have to do. That's enough of us. <laughs> so <laughs> people have probably fallen asleep by now, Guy. Yeah, but, plus uh, I need to pee. Yeah, exactly. So there we go. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on, Guy. Much appreciated. And uh, we will see everybody again soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, 
Bart Boo Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast and take a listen. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go, wait, go where? The commercial guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next. again another time. Until then, goodbye.